Survived by One, The Life and Mind of a Family Mass Murderer by Robert E. Hanlon with Thomas V. Odell. Episode One. On November 8th, 1985, five members of the Odell family were brutally murdered in their home in a small town in southern Illinois. Examination of the crime scene and autopsies revealed that four family members, including both parents and two children, had been repeatedly stabbed in the neck with a butcher knife. One child had been strangled to death. Forensic analysis revealed that the slayings were committed in a methodical manner over a period of eight hours. Tom Odell, the eldest son and only surviving member of the family, was charged with the murders the following day. Tom Odell's trial revealed that his mother, Carolyn Odell, dominated the household. Although she was considered an upstanding member of the community, the trial exposed her darker side, characterized by sadistic physical and mental abuse. Tom was ultimately convicted of five counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. He spent the next 17 years on death row. On January 11, 2003, Illinois Governor George Ryan commuted the death sentences of all death row inmates in Illinois, and Tom is now serving natural life. Tom's life unfolds in three distinct acts. Act 1 covers the lifetime of physical and mental abuse that culminated in the five murders. Act 2 is his trial, sentencing, and 17 years on death row. Act 3 begins the day his death sentence was commuted, and he realized that he was not going to die. That realization led to a process of self-reflection and examination, a time during which he began to make something positive of his life. Tom reached out with questions regarding his mother, his personality, and his brain, as well as the key question. Why did he do it? Mother and Son My earliest memories are from when I was about four or five years old, and they are about my parents. One memory in particular was when I was about four years old. When I was little, I always had to play by myself. I wasn't allowed in the living room very often because my mother didn't want to be around me, I guess. At that time, my room was next to the living room. I was playing a bit too loud, and my mother came in and slammed my head into the wall several times. I specifically recall this incident because it was the only time that my mother ever came back into my room after hitting me to apologize for flying off the handle. But I recall this incident more because it was the only time I ever remember her telling me that she loved me. Those words made everything okay again, and I felt loved by her. Another memory from about the same time involved an incident when my paternal grandparents were at our house. We were all in the backyard. Everyone was sitting around in lawn chairs, except me and my dad. We were playing catch with a baseball. I threw the ball to my dad. It was a little wild and it broke a window. Nobody got upset, except my mother, who spanked me in front of everyone and then made me go sit on my bed. My dad and my grandma and grandpa came in the room and asked me if I was okay, but my mom never came in. It was an accident, but my mom swore I did it on purpose. I remember going to my grandparents' house a lot and helping my grandpa work in the garden. I also remember going for rides in the car on Sunday with my grandma and grandpa. 
I always loved to go to my grandparents' house because I was away from home. I always felt welcome in my grandparents' house, unlike at home. I just never felt like I belonged there, even when I was little, and I could never shake that feeling the rest of my life. I remember one time we were going to the store when my mother was pregnant with my sister. We were running and she tripped and fell. She cut her chin and had to get some stitches. She called my father at work and he came home. Then she told him that I tripped her on purpose, but it was an accident and I never touched her. I couldn't understand why she said such a thing, and the look I got from my dad was one I'll never forget because that was the first time I felt like he did not like me anymore. I never shook that look from my mind. November 8, 1985 was a day unlike any other in the lives of Bob and Carolyn Odell and their family. And it was a day that the residents of the small town of Mount Vernon, Illinois would never forget. Autumn lingered, but the first signs of the approaching winter had appeared. The sky was overcast, and the air held a chill that warned of an early frost. Soon, the wind and snow would sweep across the frozen farmland surrounding the little town. But the chill that hung over the Odell home that day was influenced less by the temperature than by the ominous specter of unimaginable horror that was to come. Carolyn's activities that day were typical for a busy housewife, homemaker, and mother of four who tried her best to stay involved in community activities. She had bowled the night before, and as a treasurer of the local bowling league, she needed to stop at the bank to deposit money collected from league members. She also volunteered in the school library, and had recently accepted an appointment as president of the parent-teacher organization at Horace Mann Elementary School, the school all of her children had attended. In fact, that morning she had scheduled a meeting of the planning committee for the annual chili dinner in the school library. Afterwards, she had to get home by 11.30 to fix her husband's lunch. Seven months later, during her son's murder trial, mental health professionals and forensic experts would describe this seemingly typical homemaker, mother of four, and PTO president as, quote, sadistic and abusive. The malignant disparity between the image of the PTO president and the sadistically abusive mother was a source of both contention and wonder. The Odell family photo, which appeared on the front page of local newspapers shortly after the murders, depicted what appeared to be an average middle-class American family. But the court would learn that despite the persona of loving mother and school volunteer the photo and her public actions had suggested, Carolyn was a controlling, manipulative, and emotionally detached woman with a penchant for corporal punishment. The court would also learn that Tom Odell's core motive for the mass murder of the entire Odell family was to kill Carolyn. As in most cases of parasite, the correlation between the public persona and the private life of the maternal target is complex. For the court and the people of Mount Vernon, Illinois, the correlation between Carolyn Louise Odell, PTO president, and the allegedly abusive woman brutally murdered by her son was unfathomable. My mother was a very strict woman. I was never allowed to play with the other kids in the neighborhood. She wouldn't let me go to their homes, and they weren't allowed to come to my house. If my mother saw some of the kids in her yard, she would chase them away, and that would lead to teasing at school the next day. I was also teased a lot because of my last name. They would yodel at me, or ask me if I could yodel. Although it was harmless teasing, it always annoyed me. Carolyn Odell was an only child, the daughter of strict and conservative parents who reportedly set rigid limits on her social activities. She was born in 1946 and grew up in the post-war era of opportunity, economic expansion, and growing social awareness. 
The household was dominated by her father, who restricted her social development by placing extreme limitations on her activities and refusing to allow her to participate in school activities outside the classroom or extracurricular activities of any kind. She was rarely allowed to attend social events or visit the homes of her classmates. Conversely, Carolyn's mother was a relatively passive and submissive woman who capitulated to her husband with regard to the household rules and parenting of their daughter. If Carolyn resisted the strict control of her father or violated his oppressive rules, she would be punished. Years later, Carolyn's best friend, Yvonne Sexton, provided some insight regarding Carolyn's psychological makeup. Carolyn's father was an alcoholic. She didn't trust people. She was afraid of her dad. I think she was probably abused. On one occasion, when Carolyn was a teenager still in high school, a boy walked her home from school and kissed her goodnight while they were standing in front of her home. Her father, who had been watching from inside the house, immediately pulled the boy inside and demanded to know the nature of his relationship with his daughter. Had the physical contact between his daughter and the boy gone beyond kissing, he wondered? Despite repeated denials from both Carolyn and the boy about any sexual activity and their claims of a completely innocent relationship, her father insisted that they get married. Carolyn was made to feel that she had done something horribly wrong by allowing the boy to kiss her, and that such behavior was unacceptable, intolerable, and unclean. The two teenagers were married shortly thereafter. The boy was Robert Odell. Their first child, Thomas V. Odell, was born on December 20, 1966, when Carolyn was 20. Carolyn adopted the same strict and oppressive parenting style that her parents had used with her. Robert was a shy and quiet man who deferred to his wife with the day-to-day -day issues and responsibilities of parenting. Like many young mothers, Carolyn struggled with the demands of her new role. She was an emotionally detached woman, of rigid character, whose knowledge of childcare and parenting was limited to her own restrictive and oppressive upbringing. As a result of the social isolation imposed upon her during her childhood, her opportunities to observe different styles of parenting were extremely limited, and her awareness of the dynamics of parent-child relationships was in many ways confined to the dysfunctional relationships within her own family. With regard to Carolyn's style of parenting, Sexton noted, I thought it was strange. I often wondered if she was treated the same way she treated her own children. They were not allowed to have friends over or go visit other people. She disclosed that on one occasion she questioned Carolyn as to the reason for her overly protective parenting style. She said the reason she kept her children home was that they wouldn't get the blame if something happened somewhere. As long as they were home minding their own business, they wouldn't get in any trouble. I was a good student, and I don't recall getting into any trouble during the younger years because I was so glad to be out of the house. I don't remember much about my kindergarten year, although like at home, I was by myself a lot. I didn't know any of the kids in my class, since I was not allowed out of my yard, and no one was ever allowed in it either. I used to hate that so much. The other kids would talk about what they did, like riding minibikes, go-karts, playing sports, or just hanging out. But I was never allowed to do those things, so I was always listening with nothing to say. I wasn't allowed to watch TV back then either. I was always left out, the last picked. I started school in 1971, the same year my sister was born. I went to the same school my dad had gone to when he was a boy. I even had the same kindergarten teacher that he had. I was a healthy kid except for a battle with pneumonia that landed me in the hospital for a while. I went to school every day, but I don't remember having any friends in kindergarten. Former kindergarten classmates of Tom Odell recalled that one morning after he entered the kindergarten classroom, they noticed that the back of his short-sleeved Oxford plaid shirt was wet. 
The classmates brought this to the teacher's attention. She reportedly examined him and lifted the back of his shirt, revealing horizontal welts across his back, which were streaked with blood. His shirt was wet with blood that was seeping from the welts, the result of an apparent beating or whipping. The boy reportedly said nothing. When Tom was five years old, his sister Robin was born. When my sister was born, I don't think I felt anything for her. We were hardly ever together because I was never allowed out of my room, and she was always in the living room with my mother. And of course, that was something I did not like. I didn't understand that my sister needed the attention from my mother because she was so young at the time. I just saw her as someone getting to do things I was never allowed to do. Thinking back now, I know I used to think about what my sister was doing and get mad. Then I'd start playing loudly, and my mom would come in and beat me with a belt or an extension cord or whatever else was handy. My grandma always told me that when I was little, I wouldn't leave my sister alone, like she would be sleeping and I would wake her up. But I don't remember that, just something I've always been told. I never felt any connection to her or my mother. Carolyn delivered her second child, Robin, on September 24th, 1971. Carolyn was delighted with Robin. She now had a daughter she always wanted. Tom, like most boys, was a handful, and he unfortunately possessed some of Carolyn's personality traits, which resulted in frequent clashes and conflicts between the two of them. Specifically, Tom was strong-willed, obstinate, defiant, and at times rebellious, but Tom had started school and was out of her hair much of the time, so that she could focus her attention on Robin and nurture her daughter in a way that was very different and much more fulfilling than her relationship with her son. However, within four months of Robin's birth, Carolyn was pregnant again. She wasn't pleased. Her pregnancy with Robin was filled with thoughtful anticipation and hopeful expectation. She viewed another pregnancy so soon after Robin as an unwelcome burden. When she was informed that she would have another son, she was incredibly disappointed. In fact, she was resentful. Tom was difficult. Robin was a blessing. Now, she was going to have to deal with another Tom. When Tom was six years old, his brother Sean was born. I'll never forget my mother standing in the driveway telling the neighbor that she hated my brother before he was even born. I never knew it until many years later, but at the time she even had me hating him before he was born. Robert Odell provided little assistance to Carolyn in the day-to-day -day responsibilities of child-rearing, and for the most part, that was fine with her. Bob was a good man, and she loved him. He worked hard, and he was a solid, reliable provider for the family. But his passive nature and easygoing demeanor frustrated her at times, particularly when it came to the children. Her parents had taught her how to raise children. On one hand, a parent must protect children from the unsavory influences of the world outside the home. On the other hand, children needed discipline. Discipline meant punishment. Swift, harsh punishment. That was how children learned right from wrong. I only saw my dad on weekends because of his working hours. He worked from 4 to midnight, so when I was walking in from school, he was leaving for work. I hated that because I was always left with my mom, laying alone. When my dad was around, he would call me out to the garage, where he would spend his weekends doing odd jobs. And he always took me everywhere he went. I hated for the weekends to end because I would be left alone once more with her. There was a mentally challenged girl who lived next door to us. She was about eight or ten years older than me. She was the only one I was allowed to play with. We would play catch, shoot basketball, and play with matchbox cars. But if anyone in my class found out, I'd get teased for playing with her. 
In addition to the descriptions of sadistic treatment and abusive behavior that were disclosed during the murder trial of Tom Odell, the use of corporal punishment as a standard method of discipline within the Odell household was also revealed by mental health experts. I was beaten a lot as a child for playing too loud. By playing loud, I mean the sound of a toy car rolling across the floor. Any sound would, at times, set her off like a firecracker. She would kick and beat me. She would also whip me with belts, extension cords, and Hot Wheels tracks, from my back down to the back of my legs. If I left the yard, I would be beaten right there on the spot, or I'd be beaten if I had someone playing over in the yard. I always had marks on my body, but I didn't dare show anybody because it would only make things worse. She would always say, whatever happens in the house stays in the house, or else. Whenever she beat me, she would keep beating me until she got tired, and then she would stop and walk away. So most of the time, all I could do was ball up and try my best to protect myself, because it came without warning and would last a while, depending on her stamina at the moment. As I got older, I would take the beatings from my siblings and even got in trouble on purpose just to get beaten because it was a form of attention from my mother. If she wasn't hitting me or yelling at me, she never spoke to me or I to her. I was often beaten for lying because I wanted to avoid getting beaten for something I'd done. So I lied, but I eventually realized that I'd get beaten regardless. As I got older, the beatings didn't faze me. Then came the beatings that were combined with her hateful proclamations. I hope you die. I'm sorry I ever brought you into this world. I'm sorry to have a child that turned out like you. She'd say what a huge disappointment we all were to her, and how she would run off and leave us to fend for ourselves, and then change her identity. When people would call the house, my mother would ask why they were messing with me, because I would never amount to anything. 